Welcome to What's Not Priced In, a weekly investor podcast by Fattail Investment Research. In a world of confusion and rapid change, experts Kirill Prakopenka and Greg Canavan look behind the headlines to unveil the hidden opportunities within the Australian stock market. Now, let's dive in to today's episode. Only 40 stocks in the ASX 200 are in the green this month. The rest are either neutral or in the red. Some like Star Entertainment are hitting all-time lows in September. Others like Lake Resources and Brainship are registering new 52-week lows. And clearly, markets are blaming rising bond yields. So where do you think stand at the moment? Will interest rates remain higher for longer and further depress stock valuations? Or will the economy actually buckle under the high interest rate regime and force central banks to actually cut rates sooner? And will that really be a boon for markets? Hint, no, it won't. So are we entering a new bear market? And is there still room for a skilled stock picker to snag some bargains? Hello and welcome back to the 19th episode of What's Not Priced In. As you can see, I'm back in the office. I've now recuperated and recovered from COVID-19. So glad to be back in the office and in the proper studio. Greg, welcome back. Hope all is well. All is well here, Kirill. Good to see you back, mate. And uh, looking forward to today's episode. We were just saying when we recorded last week, uh, the, the 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 market hadn't really cracked exactly. lower, but uh, we've certainly seen a fair bit of action over the over the past week, and it's shaping up to to be a pretty typical September in terms of uh, the bears the bears have come out. So a uh, lot to get into. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think we were sort of just before this, we were just doing some basic research, and I think you said that this month alone for the ASX two hundred, only about forty stocks are actually up, and uh, all of the rest of them are. Uh, underwater this month, so that's that's a pretty big statistic right there. What, what do you make? Yeah, there's, of it? A, there's a couple of couple of stocks in the neutral zone, but let's just ignore mm-hmm. those and say <laughs> yeah. that twenty percent of stocks are in the green, and and effectively eighty mm-hmm. percent uh, are in the red. So it's been a pretty uh, pretty nasty month, but also a pretty, I guess you'd say, an equivocal month in that mm-hmm. the market we were talking about, you know from months that the market's just done a bit yep. of this, a bit of up, a bit of down, hasn't really gone anywhere, uh, but it's now it's decided, I think, and it's uh, it's cracking lower. And that's obviously under the weight of these rising bond yields around the world, mm-hmm. uh, which is feeding through into higher real yields, mm-hmm. um, which we've talked about on the, on the show before. And a couple of weeks ago, I did mention that I think, or it might have even been last week's, can't remember, but, you know, the, this idea that the Fed has finally got the market to believe in its yeah. higher for longer mantra at the same time as the the weakness in the economy really starts to expose itself. So um, I guess we could also talk a little bit about the question of how, how much higher can these these yields go and and is it a sustainable move or, or is this a, I guess, a move to, to buy into those yields and sort of lock in some relatively defensive longer term mm-hmm. uh, income. So that's something we can chat about as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think... Um... Maybe we can start off. I think uh, a few weeks ago we were sort of saying that um, like the, the mantra for a while has now been interest rates are going to be higher for longer. And I think I sort of joked about it on our business call that it's almost now could be a great drinking game because every time you hear or, or read in the news that interest rates are high for longer, you take a shot. Or if you're a teetotaler like me, you can, I don't know, do five push-ups, but it's definitely been something that's I think that both analysts, buy side, sell side, and also just journalists as a whole have, have just sort of taken up now and it's just the cliche that's just plastered all over the all over the globe. And I've um I just had 
if I was just looking at some of the biggest headlines in the last week, and it's just Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, The Australian, Reuters, they're all higher for longer, higher for longer, just on all over the headlines. And I think a few weeks ago, we were actually talking about that there might be a possibility that when such uh, sentiment and consensus forms, it may be a good time to sort of listen to your inner contrarian and that you sort of suggested that interest rates might actually go lower and sooner. Do you still think that right now, given the the rapid rise in bond yields over the last few weeks? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, and and whether you're taking shots or doing push-ups, <laughs> you, you are going to be pretty exhausted yeah. or flattened, uh, yeah. you know, with, with the amount of uh, consensus and the amount of just, you know, uh, the the headlines and everyone is saying higher for longer now, and I think the Fed has finally gotten its wish that it's it's brought that narrative into the market and it's starting to price that in as well. Uh, and you're seeing that flow through to obviously higher bond yields. You're seeing that in in lower uh, or, or the sentiment indicators have gone from extremely bullish, which we're outlining for for weeks on end in this podcast. And now they're sort of, I'll show that in a moment, but now that yep. we're sort of finally getting into the into the deeper fear and extreme fear levels of those indicators. So the market has switched very, very quickly. But you make a good point. Whenever whenever you see this this consensus become such a strong and and widely agreed upon consensus, you have to start to think about you know what where are the holes in that mm-hmm. in that narrative and I keep coming back to the idea that if you if you consider what uh, what bond yields should reflect they effectively should mirror the nominal growth rate mm-hmm. of a of an economy uh, and if economy is slowing so the US economy and we showed last week those leading economic indicators, mm-hmm. If the U.S. economy is slowing now that a lot of the fiscal stimulus is coming out out of the market, you're going to see nominal economic growth slow uh, because we are seeing the monetary aggregates go into negative year-on-year readings. We're seeing inflation come down. And I know this whole higher for longer scenario is built around the idea that inflation is going to be sticky. Mm. And I think one of the things that's really driving that at the moment is the relentless move higher in in, uh, energy prices and oil prices. So one of the things that the market wholeheartedly believes in is that higher energy prices means higher inflation. Mm-hmm. And that is true to an extent if you do have uh, stimulatory monetary policy, mm-hmm. then it allows that there's enough liquidity and there's enough money in the system to allow pricing power to for, so firms can, can pass on those higher costs. But at the moment, you're getting a higher US dollar, mm-hmm. you're getting higher energy prices, at the same time as as credit growth is slowing, monetary aggregates are slowing. So that those higher energy prices are going to show up in diminished com- consumer spending or lower margins. And last week we showed all those airlines and all those airline prices, share prices are falling quite sharply. And, and in many ways, that's a view that they're going to have to absorb those higher energy costs. And it's something we saw in a Qantas announcement this week mm-hmm. as well, um, flagging uh, lower lower profits because they've got to absorb some of those Costs. So, in answer to your question, I still think, and I, I think when we mentioned this at the, uh, initially a couple of couple of weeks ago, we said let's give it and give it a few months. So, I think mm-hmm. we said we'd revisit it around uh, early to mid December. Um, I guess the one, and you've always got to say to yourself, okay, where, where could I be wrong in my mm-hmm. thesis, and yeah. where could the market be right? And uh, one of the things I do think about quite a bit is the 
still the amount of spending that's coming through in terms of the infrastructure mm-hmm. spending that governments around the world, and especially here in Australia and in the US with their Inflation Reduction Act, the amount of money that they're pumping into the economy that's putting strains on the labour market, uh, putting strains uh, on specialised labour to uh, whether it's home building, whether it's mm-hmm. construction of any type, you know, that this is where those inflationary pressures are coming from because if uh, the labour market remains strong. Obviously, the wage demands are going to mm-hmm. um, are going to be there, and while ever that's happening, central banks will will maintain their higher for longer mantra because they can't turn around immediately mm-hmm. uh, and preempt a slowing in the economy. They're going to have to see a slowing in the economy. They're going to have to see a higher unemployment rate before they act. So, to me, that that's the sort of question mark over how quickly that happens uh and and you know it may draw may get drawn out into into 2024 but i still think with a lot of the fiscal measures from the covid uh relief policies that are um coming out of the out of the market now higher energy prices are also um to me that they they suck liquidity out of the market mm-hmm. uh, and they take uh, consumer spending out of people's pockets i think that'll manifest in a, in a sharply slowing economy, both here in Australia and, and also in the US in the months ahead. Yeah. And I think also uh, central banks, both you know, the Fed and the Reserve Bank here, they always say that their policies always act with a lag. And even they say it's hard to sort of quantify. But by the way, we can probably also institute a drinking game every time we say uh, monetary policy acts with a lag. But Anyway, I think, I think even the central banks themselves can't pin down or quantify exactly when all of the interest rates are going to be fully felt by the consumer. So even now, we could be feeling the, the full effects of, of the interest rate rises months ahead. So things, are still, things could still even could get worse. That's what I'm trying yeah, to absolutely. say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. if... I guess one of the other barometers that you can look at is is the stock market. So mm. let's have a look at a couple of these uh, major stock indices around the world because that will give you a good indication as to uh, you know how the stock market is starting to price price this stuff in. So I'll start with the S and P five hundred, and this is pretty much where we were last week uh, when we recorded that the market had just started to roll over a little bit. Um, and then the Fed, uh, Jay Powell, come out with his speech, mm-hmm. and we saw it crack lower here. So this is the S and P five hundred rallied up into this point. I, I made a point of uh, showing everyone that you know markets around the world had put in that short term mm-hmm. peak in July, and that is looking increasingly the case now. You're seeing this sharp sell off. Just have a quick look at the uh, RSIs. We are getting to oversold levels here. Um, so this is an area where the market can bounce from. But in saying that, in bear markets, if if uh, if markets are really really weak and there's and the buying doesn't come in here, you can actually see continued selling come in at these yep. points. So I'm not suggesting people should be buying this for the for the bounce because that's where that you know it's a, it's a highly risky risky move. Um, but I'm just sort of pointing it out that you know it is possible that you would see a bounce here. Uh, potentially up to these moving averages, potentially up to this breakout breakdown point here, uh, before we see a rollover again, because we have had a lot of selling in the last few days. But you know, we'll go through and have a look at these other charts that confirm all this. You've got the Nasdaq mm-hmm. breaking down to new lows here. Now, these are the big stocks that are uh, 
that we highlighted, I think it was almost a month, maybe longer than a yep. month ago, and we sort of said that the momentum trade was breaking down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really before any of this happened. And we showed the divergences between mm-hmm. price and I think it was RSI back then as well. And we were sort of look, yep. pointing out here, just to make it clear, we were saying, you know, RSI or the momentum of RSI is waning at the same time as mm-hmm. the price kept going higher. And that was a, a, a first indication that things might not be looking so rosy, even though it was, you know, the market was very bullish at this point. Uh, and that, you know, it turned out to be the case pretty much, just get rid of that. And you're seeing this momentum trade really break down and, and Apple's now broken down to new lows. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's a that's a pretty bearish looking chart and would suggest that we're going to see lower prices in, in the months ahead. Microsoft is similar here. It's just broken down to this, broken below this low here. Uh, again, you might get a little bounce, but it's just it's looking like a chart that is starting mm-hmm. to roll over and, and going to find lower levels in the months ahead. Tesla, I thought I'd just throw that in. And by the way, if you're looking at these numbers here, these are the uh, performance for the month. So you've got mm-hmm. the S&P 500 September, year, uh, September to date, which is we're recording this on the 28th, uh, so this would would be uh, for the US up until the close on the 27th, down 5.1, 5.2%, uh, NASDAQ 6.7%, Apple's down over 9% for the month, mm-hmm. Microsoft 4.5, Tesla, you can see all those there. So we've, we've had some pretty big falls for the month. Uh, NVIDIA, even that is starting to look a little bit dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's holding above these lows here, so we'll see what happens. But if it follows the rest of the the tech sector, then I'd m- imagine that would roll over as well. And the New York Fangs, this is the uh, I think this is the ten largest tech stocks mm-hmm. in an index, and that's starting to to break down as well. So all this evidence in the U- in the US is is showing that uh, liquidity is starting to dry up a little bit, and the market is potentially pricing in weaker corporate mm-hmm. earnings, slower economic growth, all that sort of stuff. Um, now, while we're here, may as well just have a look at the Aussie indices mm-hmm. um, because they've broken out of their consolidation ranges as well. Um, this was the Aussie market. I think we were here last week right on the cusp of this. Um, that's sort of broken down. Aussie market hasn't sold off too sharply. We're down three point, nearly 3.8% for the month. So it's outperformed the, the US uh, and the small Boards has also broken mm-hmm. broken down out of that uh, consolidation pattern as well, and that's down nearly five percent for the month. Um, so yeah, I mean, just going back to you know what we're talking about, the market is saying okay, there's slowing coming. Yet on the other side of the coin, everyone's saying interest rates are going to be higher for longer, which you would expect only to happen in a resilient economy mm-hmm. with. Uh, a resulting resilient or sticky mm-hmm. inflation, and uh, I just don't, I just don't see that unfolding. You know, as the months as the months continue and more data comes out, I think it'll be reasonably clear that the economy is slowing quite sharply, and, and rates are very, very high for that level. Yeah, definitely. And I think I'll just sort of add something with sort of with those big US stocks over there. I think they're called the the Magnificent Seven, so it includes Apple, Google, Facebook. Nvidia, Tesla, and I think Amazon. And I think since late July, Tesla is down about 17%. Apple is down about 13%. Microsoft is also down about 13%. Meta or Facebook is down about 8%. 
and even Nvidia, which was probably the hottest stock in the world this year, which is up nearly 200% this year alone. It's sort of corrected in recent months and is down about 14% since late August. So these big stocks that have pretty much propped up the overall S&P 500 have uh, not only gone nowhere in the last few weeks, they've sort of gone backwards. Um, and basically, if these stocks aren't propping up the S&P 500, what stocks will? Because I think... Um, Many analysts have already pointed out that minus those top seven stocks, the the rest of the S&P 500 has basically gone nowhere this whole year. So without that support from the big seven, there's probably no real big catalyst there for the S&P 500 in the next months ahead. Exactly. And that, and that was the whole... Uh, idea behind the momentum trade call yep. that we that we had a few uh, a few months ago that uh, people are buying these stocks because they're going up and they're going up because people are buying the stocks and if you wanted exposure to them you would buy an S and P five hundred mm-hmm. ETF you would buy a you know a, a tech ETF so you're not necessarily buying the stocks for their fundamental value you're buying the stocks because they're a part of the tech index mm-hmm. and a big part of it and you want a piece of that and momentum just feeds on itself and it, and it you know and it produces results and the the better results it produces the more it feeds on itself mm-hmm. until such point where someone the, the momentum just starts to slow and you know that's where we pointed out that momentum mm-hmm. was starting to slow it wasn't showing up in the in the price at that time but it was showing up in the the underlying momentum indicators and to me that was that's the first sign that you know mm-hmm. this market this bear market rally that we've experienced and it has been stronger than many people thought, including myself, uh, was, was starting to starting to end. Now, how far it rolls over, how um, much worse it gets from here, uh, always a difficult, uh, always a difficult question to answer because when you're looking at indexes, it's like you said, it's, it's seven stocks that are driving that index. And, and Mm -hmm. for me and what I try to do for my subscribers is look for, undervalued stocks. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about the index. I'm not interested in in what the index is doing. Just last week, I recommended a uh, you know a, a top 200 stock that was on on 10 times PE, uh, 6.3% divi mm-hmm. yield. Uh, it's it's been through a 45% correction in its share price already. So you look at you look at these individual situations, and you can find plenty of opportunities. Yeah. But in saying that, when the Indexes roll over. Uh, that's what people look at. That's what creates sentiment, either negative or, or positive. Uh, and just on that, you know, we, we have in this uh, podcast, we do it um, often. We look at um, we look at the fear and greed, the fear and greed index, and we have yeah. switched over just overnight. We've switched over to extreme fear. Now yeah. for months it was up in extreme greed yeah. and it sort of went down to the neutral stage. Uh, and I think, I think it might've been a, an article I wrote for Livewire and, and I, it was mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And I said, you know, the market is in the process of moving from extreme fear, extreme greed uh, to extreme fear. Yep. Uh, and, and we're seeing that now. And if you look at this on the, on the timeline, this was the time and I, for some reason it doesn't have the um when i say for some reason i i cut it off uh (laughs) when i was when i was cutting and pasting this but this is the i think this is the sort of june july period Mm -hmm. here where it was in in that extreme greed reading uh it's it's dropped down popped back up and now it's down into extreme fear so sometimes you can look at like i wouldn't use these purely as a uh as a contrarian indicator Mm -hmm. but it does suggest to me that 
um, you know, a lot more, I guess it's, it's kind of obvious to say there's a lot more fear in the market now, but that the, the sentiment has certainly shifted. And I think that in itself can continue to feed as well. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe just to explain that in a little, in a different way, let's have a look at a couple of these uh, internal indicators in the Aussie mm-hmm. market. Because what I want to try and distinguish here is the difference in a market where it's a short-term bottom versus, say, a capitulation low. Yep. Uh, that would be a lot lower risk for for mm-hmm. buying from an index perspective. So I've got a few charts here that are worth looking at. This is, and these are all just the ASX 200, so I'm just trying to focus on mm-hmm. the larger stocks uh, in the market and not the hundreds of smaller stocks that sit outside in the, you know, the all lords and stuff like that. Um, so these are generally stocks with earnings and, and, mm-hmm. and are quite representative of the underlying economy in many ways. So this is the ASX 200, uh, the amount of stocks with their RSI, which is a relative strength index, a momentum indicator, below 30. So when you're below 30 on the RSI, that means you're in the oversold area. And you know this is really picked up here uh, from August, come back down. So we're starting to see increased oversold levels uh, in, in, a, in a greater percentage of stocks than we've had for, for some time. Mm-hmm. So that's one indicator that you know, the market is starting to shift from this you know, pretty bullish uh, and hopeful uh, uh, sentiment to, to, to one that's more bearish. So if we compare it to this, if we compare mm-hmm. it to where things were uh, at the lows, where was that? So this was the low in mm-hmm. um, late September. You saw a lot of stocks really, you know, peaking at that heavily oversold level. And certainly in uh, June of 2022, when the market realized that interest rates were going a lot higher, there was a massive sell-off. So we're not at those sort of real capitulation low levels, but we mm-hmm. are starting to, to pick up um, to pick up the concern and, and uh, stocks are starting to break down into these oversold levels. Another uh, one to look at is the num- the percentage of ASX 200 stocks that are above the 200-day moving average. So this is just, an, I guess, a reflection of uh, longer-term trends. And if a stock is above its 200-day moving average, you could say very loosely that it's in a, a longer-term uptrend. But that peaked at the start of the year, I think this was. Let's check. Yep, this is in February. Uh, and it started to really, so all these stocks had a really strong run mm-hmm. out of the low. And then a lot of them have started to, you know, their momentum has effectively, you know, started to wane. And now you've just got 39% of stocks that are still above their 200 day moving average. Again, we're not at the capitulation lows where we were in uh, July or June of 2022 and, and, and the major low in September, but we are starting to get down towards that level. Another indicator that's starting to pick up and, and show a bit of a, mm-hmm. a spike is the 52-week lows, the percentage of stocks making 52-week lows. So that peaked, I think that would have been Friday last week. Yep. So that peaked uh, just short-term last week. Uh, and it's starting to, you know, it's it's a bit bit like, a, what do you call the, uh, what, what do you call those things that pick up the, the volcanic activity? Um, seismograph. Uh, seismograph, so yep. This, yep. Yep. So this is starting to pick up a little bit here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more important, the ones that I look at, this is the percentage of ASX 200 stocks 
that are within 20% of their 52-week high. So essentially when it's – so at the moment we're around 65%, which means 35% of stocks are effectively in a loose definition of a bear market. So this has only just started to roll over. At those major lows last year in June of 2022 and September of 2022, you had nearly 75% of stocks – that we're in a, mm-hmm. in a bear market. So, you know, we're still, you know, potentially at the early stages of what could be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this continuation of this bear market. So I, I don't think we're, we're near a capitulation low. We're certainly near a, a low where a lot of stocks have oversold and they can bounce from, yeah. uh, but this higher for longer mantra, it's, it's obviously not going to turn around immediately. Uh, and I think that will continue to put pressure on stocks. And just another indication here, this is the VIX, the S&P um, ASX 200 VIX, which is a fear gauge that's still at very low levels. Um, so we're not anywhere near where, where you would think where, where sort of, you know, mm-hmm. capitulation levels would be. Uh, just while I'm on, on the charts as well, uh, it's worth pointing out, this is the TIPS uh, bond ETF that we show uh, every now and then, it's the inverse of real yields and real yields have spiked higher in the past week with the uptick in the uh, US government bond yields. Obviously, that means higher real rates are putting more pressure on uh, assets like gold, equities, all those sorts of things. And if you look at the gold price here, it's just broken down. So this is a consolidation period for gold. Uh, it's, it's sharply broken below there on that mm-hmm. spike in obviously nominal yields and that's flowed through to a spike in real yields as well. So gold is clearly under pressure. Um, and the only thing that's working, I think I might've mentioned this, the only thing that's working in the macro space uh, is short US treasuries or yep. short bond yields basically and, uh, and long energy. And if you've got those two trades on, you're doing well. And in many ways, I think the the price action that you're seeing is probably a lot of money crowding into those trades as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you look at the rest of the commodity complex, and we'll just show, say, copper as an indication, like copper is telling you that the global economy is weak. Copper Mm -hmm. is is back down to these levels, um, which are not too far off where it really hit those lows back in July of 2022. For the past maybe 12 months, all I've heard is that the demand for copper is going to be huge and the supply is going to be restricted because mm-hmm. of the, the move to net zero. Uh, and it's just not, it's not happening. And, and you know, the, the copper inventories at the London Metal Exchange are actually starting to build mm-hmm. quite considerably. So the global economy is quite weak according to copper. And the global economy is quite weak, according to the Aussie dollar, which has just broken down mm-hmm. to another low here uh, overnight. And the Aussie economy, I mean, sorry, the Aussie dollar is a great barometer for global economic strength. Mm-hmm. Yet we've got oil prices, and for some reason this hasn't updated for the overnight move in oil, but yep. oil jumped another three percent overnight. Uh, Yet oil is going higher and higher and higher. So I think there's two things in effect. There's obviously all the stuff that we've talked about previously mm-hmm. with the, you know, the net zero movement, uh, idiot politicians trying to constrict the supply of of uh, oil and, and and fossil fuels because they think uh, windmills and and solar panels are going to do the job for us. So that's feeding into it. 
But I think there's also a financial aspect as well where hedge funds, traders who are trying to make up for some losses elsewhere are saying the only trades that are working energy mm-hmm. and short bonds. And, and I think that's, you know, that's a big part, big part of what we're seeing uh, in, in the market at the moment. Yeah. And I think also, I think maybe what we could maybe now analyze is some possible scenarios. So one scenario is that uh, interest rates do stay higher for longer. Uh, and another is obviously that interest rates do sort of go lower and sooner. And I think maybe both scenarios aren't really that great for stocks and corporate earnings, because if it is true that interest rates do stay higher for longer, that's going to put pressure, obviously, just on stock valuations, just because interest rates are so high and that's just going to put up the uh, discount rate. But also it's probably going to uh, strain consumers. They're probably going to curb their spending. That's going to trickle down to corporate earnings. But also if it is true that interest rates do come down and they come down sooner than expected, that's not necessarily a great, great news for the stock market if we look at the reason why those interest rates are going to come down. I think I have a great quote here from my good friend, Milton Friedman <laughs> in 1992. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be a podcast without one of your yep. quotes, mate. So yeah, exactly. nice work. Uh, and he said um, in 1992, so decades ago, declining or low interest rates may at times correspond to easy money, but so may rising or high interest rates. To illustrate the first possibility, the short-term commercial paper rate remained at around 0.75% from 1939 to 1946, while the money supply nearly tripled and the price level rose by 60%. To illustrate the second, the federal fund rates, the federal funds rate hit 20% in January 1981 and again in July, a period when both M2 and consumer prices were rising at nearly 10% a year. If the Fed can control interest rates, does anyone really believe we would have seen the federal fund rates at 20%? Um, so basically, we're saying that we should really focus at the things that cause interest rates to change, and that will have the overall effect rather than the change itself. So if central banks think that the economy is just cracking, they will obviously have to feel like they need to lower interest rates, and that's not good for the stock market. So we just have to always focus on the cause behind the change rather than the change itself. Absolutely. And I think the market will make the decision for the Fed before the Fed does. So, you know, um, and going back to your question, neither scenario is good for for stocks. Uh, even though the S&P 500 has fallen 5% this month, it's still trading on a PE of 18 times, which is an, an earnings yield of 5.5%. And if you look at three-month three T-bonds, they're trading around 5.5%. So you can have risk-free money at 5.5%, keep rolling that over on a higher for longer uh, narrative. And if that is the case, then you invest your three months. Another three months, you can keep investing at 5.5%, higher for longer, no risk, no problems. Or you can buy the S&P 500 on 18 times mm-hmm. earnings and get the same return. Like it just it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense. So uh, I almost think that you know neither scenario is good for the stock market. Uh, and that and when I say the stock market, I'm talking on an index level. I think I'm not you know I'm not an expert on the on the U.S. Uh, stock situation, but in the Aussie market, there has been a lot of stocks that have fallen considerably. And and you know 
we'll have a quick look at the some of the uh, ASX 200 stocks for the month of uh, September, just to give you give uh, viewers an indication of how much some stocks have fallen. So there, there's going to be opportunities out there, uh, and and under a scenario where the Fed is forced to cut because the economy is slowing a lot sharper than expected. In that scenario, the narrative of higher for longer will go. The narrative of sticky inflation will go. And money market rates will start to come down considerably because there'll be a whole bunch of capital trying to get defensive and trying to escape the stock market because that slowdown is coming. Corporate earnings are going to take a hit. What looks like a forward PE of 18 times might actually be a forward PE of 20, 25 mm -hmm. times because earnings are going to get cut. Uh, but again, this is a stock market wide level in many cases, and, and this is certainly the case for Aussie stocks. In many cases, earnings per share estimates already have been yep. cut quite considerably over the past 12 to 24 months. So I think the important thing is not to get too bearish and not to sort of, because whenever it's the same as when, when markets are bullish, you know, it's very hard to resist that urge to be bullish and think, okay, well, I've got some, you know, cash in my portfolio. I probably should be deploying it because it's sitting there doing nothing mm -hmm. in the same ways. When everyone gets too bearish, it's like, well, I've got stocks in my portfolio that are getting hammered. Maybe I should be selling them and sitting in mm -hmm. cash. I don't think yeah. it's, it's that, it's that situation. I think you've just got to be patient and wait for good opportunities. But in saying that, let's have a look at the uh, performance of the ASX 200 over the past month, because there's some really interesting charts here. And we were saying at the, at the start of the show that, you know, 80% of stocks have fallen this month. Mm -hmm. And at the top of the list for the falls is uh, star entertainment group. Yep. Um, now that is one ugly looking chart. I actually think Star Entertainment might be a good contrarian play at some point, but it's maybe one for 2024, not 2023. Mm -hmm. But they've just raised a whole bunch of uh, capital to clean up their balance mm -hmm. sheet. Uh, and this looks like a bit of a washout where everyone's yep. just, you know, had enough. Um, so that's down 37% for the month. And that chart looks ugly. You've got Chalice down 36% mm -hmm. for the month. You've got Aurora, which I think is a packaging company, um, had a capital raising. That's down 25%. Sayona Mining's down 23%. i will just run through them quickly. DeGray yep. Mining. I mean, the, none of the charts here look particularly good. This is Block, uh, the, the owner of Afterpay. That's just broken down from a you know, reasonably long holding mm -hmm. support. So that's, that's a bearish looking chart. Um, whoops. Wee bit nano, not a nice looking chart. I'll even just mm -hmm. shorten this up a little bit so you can just see the more recent action. Uh, some property stocks, Cromwell Property Group. There's sort of no real, uh, even the mm -hmm. Bellevue Gold, the gold stocks are starting to break down now. Lithium, Bega, which we mentioned in one of our shows uh, mm -hmm. a good few months ago. Um, this is at all time lows. It broke yeah. through though there a couple of months ago, tried to rally back to those moving averages back down to new lows. Uh, Levisa, Neuron Pharmaceuticals, Helios, Growth Point Properties, Eagers Automotive, mm -hmm. uh, IGO, which is the another lithium uh, stock, Perseus Mining, a gold stock, Silver Lake gold stock, Qantas, that just looks really ugly. Uh, Charter Hall Group Property, Property, uh, Pilbara Minimals, lith Lithium, Northern Star Gold, mm -hmm. and then 
you look at the the winners and they're mostly energy stocks. So this is Paladin Energy, which is uranium, Coronado, Global Resources, coal, uh, Whitehaven, coal, which is obviously coal, uh, Prometicus, uh, New Hope, another coal stock, uh, Costa Group, that's under takeover, uh, Seven West, uh, sorry, this mm-hmm. is Seven Group Holdings, which has done really well. And I think a few weeks ago in one of the episodes post-reporting season, we mm-hmm. said any stock that has delivered earnings growth is going to get bought up uh, yeah. regardless of its value. This is a good, you know, a really well-run company. It's got some good good holdings, got a big stake in Beach Energy as well as mm-hmm. uh, Caterpillar and, and, you know, a good bunch of, it's a conglomerate, it's a good bunch of businesses, so that's done mm-hmm. well. Liontown's under takeover offer to Terra Royalties is a iron ore royalty uh, company. Romelius, a gold stock. IPL, uh, Instech Pivot, recovering from a, a deep sell-off in, in previous months. Uh, this is Karoon Energy, mm-hmm. uh, QBE. Obviously, global insurers are doing quite well. So it just gives you a sense uh, of, and especially just on the on the downside, I mean, the amount of stocks that have fallen really, really heavily, um, you know, is quite, it's quite significant, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and, and just in one month and that they're just the returns for the month of September. Um, so there's two ways you can look at it and I would sort of break it up into long-term and short-term mm-hmm. short-term. Most of the, a lot of those charts look really ugly and what you don't want to do is, you know, the catch the proverbial falling knife yeah. where you think, okay, this has fallen, uh, 10, 20, 30% in a month, it should be good value because, yeah. you know, those sort of stocks are falling for a reason, obviously. So what I what I sort of like to do, unless there's a general capitulation in the market and we showed before we're not at that level yet, uh, what I generally do is just let the dust settle. You find, you do your research, you find your stocks yeah. that you like, you find, uh, you try to work out, you know, where a valuation could be, whether a stock is good value, whether it's approaching good value, all those sorts of things. You just do your homework, but you don't react too quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So longer term, I think there's some really good opportunities emerging, but shorter term, those charts look pretty ugly and and are suggesting that you probably need to be a little bit wary and a little bit patient about about diving in and picking up the uh, proverbial bargain, which may not turn out to be a bargain in the short term. And often... Uh, share price falls like that precede bad news. They precede profit mm. warnings and and those sorts of things. And in this case, they just could be preceding a general deterioration in economic conditions, which will mm. feed through into lower earnings down the track. Yeah, and I think with uh, the bag of cheese example, we mentioned it uh, ages ago, one of our very first episodes, and we did sort of did sort of say the risk is that even though it's approaching its all-time lows they can always go lower and it's it certainly was the case there with baggage cheese but also i think an interesting stock was pro because i think it's a medical imaging company and it's quietly been one of the best performing stocks for the last maybe 10 years on the sx i think it's maybe if it keeps this momentum up it could be a 100 bagger i think in in the then yeah so for someone yeah, for someone, yeah. Uh, so there's definitely still uh, pockets of opportunity there because, for example, ProMedicus, it's not necessarily affected as much by the current macroeconomic news because it's still sort of growing its business. It still has avenues to grow. It still can sort of grow its revenue and its its earnings aren't nearly impacted by what uh, Michelle Bullock or 
uh, Jerome Powell are doing. So there's still opportunities there for a for a good stock picker. So it's not all not all doom and gloom. Yeah, I think the the, the tough thing is with those type of companies. I've looked at ProMedicus before because it's always looked pretty yeah very good on expensive the yeah, and it's just expensive. And yeah. and I think it's like you say. I'm more of a generalist in in terms of I I don't really focus on any particular sector. I focus on, you know, what's out of favor and potentially in value and and might be a good contrarian buyer with with the the technicals and the fundamentals both combining to produce Mm. a a couple of ticks that will give you uh, some confidence to to go into it. So I don't really look at any specific sectors, whereas I think a stock like that really requires someone to know the business, know the managers, know what the strategy is, and have a really solid confidence about the longer term growth prospects because you need to have that confidence in order to pay up and and pay those prices. Whereas if you're just looking at it purely from a, I'm going to read a few of the annual reports, I'm going to look at a couple, you know, a couple of the, the past year's balance sheet and cash flow statements. It's very hard to make those investments stack up from a from a fundamental. And if you're a, you know if you're a value analyst, it's a, it's a difficult. Uh, equation to to come up with and, and get a buy on it. But, you know, if you know your businesses, if you know your management, and if you're confident in the ability for them to keep growing, then yeah, you can, you can pay up for them. And in, in two or three or five years time, what you paid mm. for looks very, very cheap, but at the time it looks quite expensive. Yeah. Um, and those stocks are very, very difficult to find. And I've sort mm. of Years ago, I, I stopped trying to really find them because I think you do need to be a, a specialist and be very close to the the business and constant contact with the management in order to understand how they work. Yeah, and I think with the ProMedicus stock is definitely, I think, um, not controversial, but there are uh, analysts who sort of say it's always expensive and then there's also other people who always say it's expensive for a reason. So it, it is a bit of a battleground yeah. stock that sort of, evokes different emotions and based on different people's different approaches to valuation. Absolutely. And that it always comes back to, you know, what, what type of investor are you? What are you yeah. comfortable with? Um, and you just have to, you have to go, go with, go with what your investing personality is. And, you know, those sort of stocks just don't, don't match my, hmm. my personality. I'm a, yeah. I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> Yeah, and it sort of reminded me a little bit of the, the valuation battles, I think, over Afterpay. There was um, a book written on Buy Now, Pay Later, pretty much on Afterpay by two AFR journalists. I think one of them was Shapiro. And I think there were some really great chapters for anyone who's interested in the book that was sort of um, detailing the different battles that all of the different buy side analysts would have with each other. There would be some people who were so you know, avid supporters of Afterpay and they thought that this was a company that was going to be huge in 10 years, grow its uh, its revenues. And then some people were saying, it just can't make money. I just don't see how it makes money. And I think for a while, a lot of the optimists were sort of proven right. And then after <laughs> afterwards, I think a lot of the more pessimistic analysts were proven right. It's generally the way it works, um, and you know, I, I think we mentioned this on a podcast at one point. was was about car sales, and mm-hmm. you know, car sales are a really good company, and I probably wouldn't be. Uh, I don't really short companies, so I wouldn't be shorting it. But if you look at its valuation, it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got a, a forecast return on equity of about ten percent. Yeah. It distributes eighty percent of its earnings, so it's not a growth company, yeah. but it's on a growth multiple. Yeah. And the way it grows is that it raises capital to then fund that growth. Mm. So it's diluting its returns on equity yeah. to, to grow. 
So I just think that's an overvalued stock that is going to correct at some point. But right now it's delivering earnings growth because it is making acquisitions and the acquisitions, uh, it's not as if they're bad acquisitions. It's just that they're not, I don't think that they're actually contributing to their overall profitability. I think those acquisitions are diluting profitability. Um, and I just think the multiple is is too high. I don't think it's as clear cut as what Afterpay was. I remember writing yeah. about Afterpay a lot at the time, and just thinking, I don't, I just don't know how yeah. how you can justify this this valuation. And majority of the time, you'll get those ones right, but there are yeah. some stocks that just prove you wrong, and they yeah. are genuinely good growth stocks that just deliver uh, yeah. year after year. Actually, I should point out. Um, Speaking of a growth stock, just before we, we finish up, mm-hmm. uh, one of the stocks, and I might just have to type it in here because I'm not sure if it's on my list, but let's have a quick look at one of the um, one of the key pinup growth stocks of the uh, there we are CSL. Mm-hmm. Hang on, here we go. So this has sort of really broken down in the last couple of yeah. couple of months it's gone from 311 down to 250 mm-hmm. um, which is back to where it was back to where it was nearly at these lows here in the in the sharp sell-off yeah. so as a quality stock that CSL is uh, and everyone talks about it being a quality quality growth stock if you pay too much for it it's just gonna it's not going to deliver yeah. Um and and CSL is obviously you know pretty massive now, so it's very it's it's much harder for it to deliver mm-hmm. that growth. But it had a it had a good run in 2019 up to the peak uh, in 2020. We saw COVID hit; it bounced mm-hmm. back pretty quickly from that. But it, it it's really done nothing since, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just gone gone sideways. The dividend is is very very small because I think it it pay it. Uh, mm-hmm buys back a lot of its shares rather than pays out as a divvy. So it's just a good a, a good reminder that, you know, as good a quality a stock can be, if you pay too much for it, you're not yeah. going to get the return for it. Um, and that's one of the key, I guess, uh, inputs of a value investor. They yeah. want to make sure that the numbers they're putting into a model ensure that they're going to get a decent yeah. return um, rather than just buying quality at any price. Yeah, definitely. I think that what, what was one of the quotes, even a, even a great business can still be a, a bad investment if you pay too much for that expected growth. So even if the growth does eventuate, you've already paid, you pretty much paid up for it right at the start. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, on that, on that happy note, I think we'll, we'll end it there. And Hang uh, on, before we do, uh, yep. we've got some major sporting events this uh, weekend, Kirill. And we're actually, we're recording this a little bit earlier on Thursday. Yep. So you lazy Victorians can uh, <laughs> go and have a day off to prepare for a, yeah. a grand final. So what's the uh, what's the tip, mate? Well, I, I wouldn't have a tip. I'd just say that uh, Marcus Bontempelli was robbed of a of a Brownlow uh, by uh, by Lockie Neal. I think Lockie Neal is a is a great player, but as a Western Bulldogs supporter, I do think Marcus Bontempelli was owed one there, and um, he, he unfortunately came second again. So he might never win a Brownlow again. Uh, but um, I'll probably Colling- tip Collingwood the, are the Lions, mate. I'll I'll tip Collingwood. Collingwood. And what about? Um, are you familiar with the game NRL? <laughs> I'm not really. I'm not really. You know, when that I my just, parents when my parents came here, we just sort of it was always footy and tennis and 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 football, like the the, the soccer, as they Americans say it. Actually, when you say came here, you should uh, tell everyone where, where did your parents come from. 
from Belarus. I think Belarus. it is getting a bad bad press lately from uh, from its uh, president, who's actually called the last dictator in Europe. So yeah, right. he's been he's been in power more than I've been for more years than I've been alive. Really, and is that yeah. part of the reason why your parents got out of there? Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of people sort of leave, especially with young young professionals that can sort of just take their skills elsewhere. And so, what, when did you come to Australia? I think it was two thousand and four. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So you got into and you and you uh, arrived in Melbourne first up. Yep. Is that what yep. you? Yeah. Then... So I think my formative sporting memories were actually watching watching the Ashes, and they actually had bought the CD that had all the highlights. Wow. Was, yeah. Was that part of the uh, citizenship? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Requirements. It was the the homework. Yeah. Well, so there's this game we play up here called uh, NRL. NRL. That's yep. rugby league, <laughs> and uh, the Broncos and the Panthers are playing. And uh, Broncos are from Queensland, so I'm a New South Welshman, uh-huh. so I'm, I'm absolutely not going for those guys. Penrith, I think, will get the job done, but it'll be a pretty good match. It'll be a bit like a state of origin uh, nice. with Penrith having lots of New South Wales players in it and uh, the Broncos having a fair few Queenslanders in there. So, um, yeah, action pack weekend pretty much. <laughs> so that's the grand final? That's the grand final. Oh, nice. oh actually, no, it's, um, yeah, it is this weekend. Oh. It is this weekend. They okay. normally have them. Uh, they normally have them sometimes on different weekends, but yeah. I think they've converged. So Saturday will be AFL and Sunday will be NRL. Yeah, well, uh, and then we'll get leave, back to talking about tennis. Yeah, exactly. And then leave leave your predictions down below. Who's gonna Who's going to win the NRL and the AFL Grand Finals? Sounds good. Calm the Bulldogs. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, try next year. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, right, have a guys. good week. Thanks for joining What's Not Priced In, your weekly source of unique ideas in the Australian stock market. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show your support by following us on your chosen platform and turn those post notifications on so you don't miss a thing. And uh, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as we delve into new topics, new trends and new stocks. Thanks for your support. Hope to see you next week.